There you are. Hello. I don't know how it is that I suddenly realize you are there listening every week. It is most likely a miracle of the imagination. Yours this time, not mine. But rather than ruining the illusion, I think that makes it all the more special. Don't you? I was sitting with my eyes closed, quietly meditating on the sound of the breeze, when suddenly I was aware that you had pressed play and begun to listen. Ah, there you are, finally, I would say to you, for I was waiting. Isn't that a lovely illusion? Just as I imagined you were here, sitting across from me, witnessing me, and listening to me. They are both false, albeit lovely illusions, so I think that perhaps I will maintain them if you don't mind. If you don't like it, you certainly don't have to believe it, because it isn't even true. Anyway, there you are. Hello. The reason that I was sitting calmly and meditating on the sound of the breeze is because, though I have been keeping no real calendar, and though the days and the nights blend together so very readily for me, I feel that it is the time of year where the spirits are waking up. Yes. Now that the human harvest celebration has moved on from the forest... And now that it's a little too cold for visitors here, I feel them ready to come visit. The spirits who have either dwelt here before, or found their way here now. I have that effect on them. I draw them towards myself, like a magnet, for they know that I want nothing more than to see them and to collect their story. They will come for a brief visit, and then they will disappear when it gets far too cold. Too cold even for ghosts. What will I do, then? Will I be able to adapt? Will I freeze? Will I go underground and hibernate, and come back in the springtime? We will see. That is a problem for another episode. For now, I feel the forest around me preparing itself. For its ethereal guests it will be hosting soon. As I sit and listen for them, there is another here who is helping ready this place. My gentle friend, he who is always cloaked in flame like a bright and glorious star who fell to earth, Long, long ago, he with his sad black eyes. I can see that he's a little joyful in his preparations, which is a delightful change. He has been setting out torches along hard-to-find paths here. Torches that lead their way to me. They are safe and they are small, and I am here to protect the trees after all so do not be afraid for my forest. We simply felt we should leave some light in the night time, 
for this is the season of the dead, and there is no better time than this to make sure they do not feel lost or alone. We are making preparations for their arrival. I remembered a ghost for you this week as I drew a card. I remembered a ghost unlike any I've ever told you about. I shuffled. I took a deep breath. And in the dim light of the small torches in my wood, I drew a card. It was the Two of Cups. The card for soulmates. Partnership. A union between two forces. Balance. Yes, it is perhaps a card for love, but it is also a card that indicates a relationship based on shared values and mutual respect. And when two souls who can form such a relationship finally do meet, then they are able to accomplish great things together. I have a story of two such souls who found each other through the vast expanse of a great, wide sea. Now I am going to tell you this story by first introducing one half of the Two of Cups. Many different people called her many different names. She did not use any name for herself. She did not need a name, for she was the only one of her kind in the whole world, as far as she knew. And she knew much. She lived in the sea, and she had been there since long, long before any ship had ever sailed, when the sea was cold and black and full of great and terrible beasts such as she. She had seen dinosaurs with long, graceful necks and great snapping jaws glide through her waters. She had seen ancient and enormous sharks, their bellies full of entire schools of fish, glide lazily through her reefs. She had seen whales the likes of which we earth-dwelling things could never even imagine, eat species of fish that haven't even existed in millennia. But among all of these gigantic wonders in the ancient and mysterious sea, she knew that none of them could rival her gargantuan greatness. She knew that the length of each of her eight magnificent tentacles outreached the length of even the biggest whale she'd ever seen. She knew that her deep purple color was more beautiful than even the loveliest fish in the warmest reef. She knew that her pride was more destructive than even the worst hurricane she'd ever felt rock the sea with its might. But she could not change her incredible size, nor her mesmerizing color. So why should she shrink her pride, therefore? She slept a great deal at the bottom of the sea. There were huge caverns she liked to hide in. There were dark places where she could escape, deep, deep down. And it was so cold there and so dark 
that she could sleep for as long as her ancient body felt it needed to. Sometimes centuries would go by, and she would surface and see fish and whales and sharks that were different from the last time she awoke. She hunted the largest prey she could find, her huge tentacles reaching and wrapping and squeezing, and dragging them down into the depths with her. Down, down, down. And then she would feast. And then she would resume her slumber. One day she awoke, and there were strange things on the floor of the sea. She didn't know that they were ships. She only knew that they were not food. She knew this because when she explored them, she pried the wood apart with her tentacles. She tasted it and spat it back out again. She dug deep into its hold, and sometimes she would find the bodies of sailors. She liked the taste of them better than the taste of the wooden ship, but they were no real satisfaction for her hunger. Most of the time, there was nothing there for her. But sometimes, there was something shimmering, something gold, something glorious. Sometimes there was treasure, and oh, she loved it. She didn't know what gold was or what the names of each different precious jewel was, but she knew that she loved it. She tried to adorn herself with them as she could. Perhaps she was able to wrap a gold chain around one of her great tentacles, or slip a crown or wreath around the tubular siphons on either side of her enormous head. But mostly, she ate it. Not because she enjoyed the taste, but because she was greedy for it. She would keep it with her, until she could find a glorious home somewhere in the bottom of the sea where she could keep it all. Until then, she would keep it with her, in her belly. When she did swim closer to the surface, she saw some of these strange wooden vessels floating above her. At first, she just watched them from a distance. But then, she would sometimes see shiny things. Shining silver hanging at the sides of the strange creatures on board. Sometimes gold coins in their hands. They had treasure these strange little creatures who babbled and shouted to each other and seemed so preoccupied with their little worlds, insignificant compared to her immense greatness and her thousands of years of ruling over this sea. She wanted it, oh, she wanted it so badly. She began to grow hungry for it. And so she would stalk the ship gliding silently underneath it, and only the birds overhead would be able to glance the huge shadow underneath the boat, just waiting for its moment to strike. She would wait for the wind to grow still. She would wait for a moment when the ship was quiet, 
and she would turn so that her great belly was facing up at the ship. And all of her eight tentacles would climb up and around each side of it. She could feel her way along the sides of the thing, the coarse wood scraping against the delicate surface of the suckers that lined each of her mighty arms. Once the sailors realized their ship was being surrounded, it would be too late. She did not strike. She did not lash out. She did not crush. Rather, with her eight limbs around the ship, she would simply squeeze. And the ship would crumble and fall away into the black depths of the ocean where she could easily pick it apart for snacks, for sailors, for food. But most of all, for more treasure with which to decorate the inside of her belly. Oh, how quickly her centuries passed with such a game as this. And her legend spread across the land, and it made some people begin to fear the great, dark, mysterious sea. But it also made some people seek to destroy her, and take to the sea even more readily. But none could defeat her. She was too strong, too wise, too hungry. And this was her sea. Now... I shall introduce you to the other half of the Two of Cups in this story. Thousands of years again came and went, as they always will somehow, because what are years anyway? And the sea was introduced to another proud and hungry creature. He was a pirate, and he had lived his whole life at sea. Rumor had it he had even been born on a ship, though he never knew his mother and couldn't confirm such a thing. But he began life on a ship, and everything he needed, he had to take. And soon he began to take things that he wanted, not just that he needed. A cold heart and sharp steel served him well in his life, and that is all he knew, and it is all he grew to need. Through that cold heart and that sharp steel, he eventually rose through the ranks. And now that he was in the autumn of his life, he had his own ship and his own crew and his own flag. He was renowned throughout the land and feared all across the sea. He delighted in the cries of horror that he heard echo from across the water when they unfurled their black flag, not with white skull and crossbones, but with shimmering gold. And they always won. And they stole treasures from merchant ships, from royal barges. And though he had the help of a crew, he had designs to take all of the gold for himself. Once they found a deserted island, or an abandoned fortress somewhere to hide these riches away, and he could easily dispose of those he didn't feel deserved even a small portion of his collection. But he would never reach such an island, or such a fortress. Because, you see, 
this ruthless pirate would soon meet her. The great and terrible monster with eight strong, crushing tentacles, waiting for him and his ship. She had stalked them for days, perhaps even weeks, waiting for the breeze to die, waiting for them to let down their guard. For you see, that gold-shimmering skull and crossbones had caught her eye, and she was unable to let it go. She had to have it. So gracefully, so carefully, her tentacles touched the bottom of the ship. Almost lovingly, she slid them up and around it, and the wind was so dead that no one noticed that it had entirely stopped. Except for the captain, for he knew his ship better than anyone else aboard it. He knew the way it rocked to and fro, and this was different. He called for silence on board. He heard something. A voice, it seemed. Do you hear that? He asked his crew, and yet none did. He was alone in hearing the great beast's song. And the captain was a selfish man. He gathered as much gold as he could possibly get into his pockets, and he hastily made his way towards a lifeboat. But all the while, he still heard her song. And before they knew it, her eight arms were around them, squeezing, crushing, breaking. But the captain, in his cleverness and his selfishness, was already in the dinghy, which fell into the water with a great splash. As the sun set, he heard the cries of his shipmates and the creature still singing merrily as the ship steadily disappeared underwater. Now this monster, she took her time picking the skeleton of the ship clean. She had swallowed up as much shiny treasure as she possibly could. And as the captain watched her, trying to row in the opposite direction while still keeping an eye on her to make sure she wouldn't notice as he fled, he watched her as she scooped up one of his men into one of her huge purple tentacles and drop him into her mouth. And he caught a glimpse of the treasure, glittering deep in the shadows of her enormous maw. His treasure. And other treasures. More treasure than could be housed on his dream island, his dream fortress. He wanted it. 
he was hypnotized by it. The sun was almost gone now, and the sea was dark. The shouting had stopped, and the ship was already drifting down towards the sea floor, however far away that was. And our monster, she who some called Kraken, some called Giant Squid, some called Scylla, began to slumber herself. Satiated and proud of her belly full of gold and sailors, she began to let herself drift away from the surface, too, until she heard a man's voice humming far, far away. Who had heard her? Who dared mock her? It's been With a great push of her immense arms, she swiped, causing a ripple in the water. Nothing for her but for the little boat above. It was a tidal wave of dangerous proportions. The dinghy capsized, and the captain found himself in the water, now entirely dark except for the light of the moon. He tried to get his bearings underwater but he could see nothing. He couldn't tell which way was the surface, and which was towards certain doom. Little fish, playing games. He could not see her, but he heard her, her voice seeming to come from all around. Who dares call to me? Who heard my voice? It has been thousands of years since anyone even listened for it. Though he was underwater, the captain was calm, and though he saw from the pitch-dark water beneath him the shimmer of a huge purple cephalopodic beast, and though it filled him with more horror than a cruel man like him was used to feeling, He stayed calm. He wanted to see that gold again. Open your mouth, great Scylla, so that I may see your wondrous collection once more, he said, and tried to feign a sort of bow as he floated, weightless. He was not really speaking, mind you, but he could hear her voice, and she could hear his somehow. Scylla, she whispered without lips or breath, it is suitable, but what will you give me? For surely, if I open my mouth now, your men will escape and I will have no dinner. What will you give me in return? And as she said it, She opened her mouth just a little, and the captain saw a glint of pure gold gleaming at him in the little moonlight there was. And he heard the cries of his crew, who, sure enough, were waiting alive within. 
his gold for his crew. He had hunted his whole life for a treasure so great, thousands and thousands of years of treasure, waiting all in the belly of this ancient beast he might never encounter again. Me, Scylla, he answered, his voice breathless, even though it was not his real voice. You may have me. And he pulled open his velvet coat to show her how it was lined with jewels and pearls and gold and coins. And he stopped treading water and let himself sink towards her. She sighed her approval and opened her mouth. The crew, miraculously unharmed because this is my story and I don't care for violence, swam desperately towards the dinghy at the surface, where they left my story and did not return. The pirate captain closed his eyes and let himself be swallowed up whole. And do you know what he found? when he opened his eyes. First, you must understand that this is a mythic sea monster. It does not have insides like a normal creature you can imagine. You must instead imagine a large cathedral-like place, red and purple and black, the colors you might imagine seeing in the belly of a monster, but not blood, organs, nor bones at least not as you might picture them. Instead, I shall describe to you the cathedral inside this kraken. Her bones formed a great banquet table and a chair, almost a throne, and across the table was strewn only some of her delightful treasures. The rest were draped across the ceiling, scattered on the floor, lining the walls, her blood was a gentle river passing by the table with a calm and ever-running current. The beat of her heart was steady and peaceful and slow, befitting a creature her age and size. It was warm here, and somehow the air was fresh. It is beautiful here, the man gasped. It is everything I have ever dreamed of. Silly little fish, she said somewhat sadly. You are dazzled, but your tribute pleases me. Remembering his word, he emptied his pockets into the treasure on the table. My whole life I have searched for a treasure such as this. She laughed a little her voice reverberating all throughout the bones of this castle he now lived in. Silly little fish, how is it that you understand me? He sat on the throne of bones, and he thought for a long moment. You have spent your life stealing treasure and defending it? Yes. You are unable to resist the sight of it. At all costs, you must have it. 
Yes. <laughs> I understand you perfectly, he said, and stretched his legs out on the table, his arms folding behind his head. I haven't spoke with anyone, ever, not since you floating fish started crossing my sea, not since the sharks began to shrink, not since the great dragons flew in the sky. I have never spoke with anyone. May I stay here? The sea captain asked. Yes, the kraken answered. Hmm, where would you like to go? And that is the story of how these two unlikely soulmates found each other. I thought it was not surprising at all, actually. There are many different types of monsters in this world and some of them have remarkably similar motives. I have seen the shadow of the kraken in the ocean before. I have swam the ocean depths in the dark of night, and I have not known what was below me. It's quite something, really. It's a place I see in my dreams often. I am in an ocean, or a lake, or somewhere vast and cold anyway. I am floating there, and I am wishing that I had the calm to look up and enjoy the sight of the moon on the waves, and to hear the absolute quiet. But instead, my heart is pounding in my ears, because I know that something, someone, is swimming up from the depths towards me, I can feel it grabbing my ankle. But in this dream, I can always plunge up through the waves and into the sky. Because in this dream, I have black wings that are so large and powerful that I can outmatch any sea creature. I wonder sometimes if I can grow them back again. No. No, I don't think I need to. Perhaps because I've learned to stay out of the sea. For now. So, my strange fire spirit. I know this was a tale of the sea, and I know that the sea frightens you more than anything. For you see, my friends, fire fears water most of all, obviously. But by this logic, I am earth and I should fear fire, yet I do not, so who knows what the rules are here. But, my friend, my strange fire friend, do you think, do you wonder if, are we perhaps too different, or are you my soulmate? No, I think not. I think we're too different. But you mustn't take that to heart. It's good that we're too different. I don't personally believe in soulmates. 
I believe instead in choosing who we keep company with, and how we keep it. And even if I am wrong, I think what I believe is more important anyway. So you mustn't fear. I won't abandon you for a monster who understands me better. I think I would be bored of that. Ah, the spirits are indeed waking. I kiss the Two of Cups and thank it for making me think of this unlikely partnership I told you about tonight. I don't believe in soulmates, but I believe in the cards. And the cards told me to explore relationship and partnership. My heart rebels against dependency and collaboration. But I am fighting that this season. Because I believe I must love better and deeper this season. I'm trying to be what I believe. Anyway, my friends, good night. Thank you. Be well. Hello, my friends, and thank you so much for joining me for episode 115 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, as always, your ever-faithful writer, host, podcaster, composer, producer, creator behind the show. If you're experiencing cooler weather where you are right now, as I am, I hope it's being kind to you. Shout out to you. And shout out also to my listeners in places where it's still quite warm right now. I hope I could at least give you a little taste of Canada when I talk about my imaginary forest. I would like to thank two wonderful listeners who became patrons of the show this week on Patreon. Big thank you to Carissa and to Frank from Germany, both of whom made monthly pledges to supporting the show. Thank you so much, Carissa and Frank from Germany. I'm so grateful to you and all my patrons for helping me make this show happen. If you'd like to support the show in a similar way, all of my monthly patrons receive access to the soundtrack of the show, which evolves as I keep creating more episodes. Uh, so to find out more, you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd like to make a one-time donation instead without the soundtrack bonus, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees through coffee.com. That's at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. You can also purchase a t-shirt or a hoodie at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I'm also sending out some thank yous this week to iTunes listener Sue Lapp from Australia and Lala Kling from the US. Both of these listeners left a really kind five-star review on Apple, and I really appreciate it. So thanks so much to Sue Lapp and Lala Kling. If you're also enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page, or anywhere else you'd like to. It's a really great way to help a podcast out. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and my Facebook and YouTube pages are just called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for listening, my friends. Take care of yourselves out there, and we'll talk again soon. Good night. 
and sweet dreams. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.